Hello and welcome to the Drabblecast, episode 210. The Drabblecast is a weekly audio fiction magazine that brings strange stories by strange authors to strange listeners, such as yourself. I'm your host, Norm Sherman. So this week's show, trifecta special number 17, three different stories, three different storytellers, one similar theme, the theme of this special, the alphabet. We've got three stories from a collection of 26 called The Alphabet Quartet, a collaborative effort between writers Tim Pratt, Heather Shaw, Greg Van Eekout, and Jen Reese. And I think you're going to dig them. But first, let's check in with Drabblecast cryptozoologist Connor Chodesworth for part two of our ongoing nature documentary miniseries, In Search of the Brain-Eating Nandi Bear. In Search of the Brain-Eating Nandi Bear with Connor Chodesworth. The brain-eating Nondi bear. Terrifying, and yet fascinating. Like Bjork or a Tijuana donkey show. After sacrificing several months of my life, sanity, and dignity last year in search of the Mongolian deathworm, a quest which ultimately left my career drier than Jeff's wife on their honeymoon, hey! I intend to redeem my scientific credibility by finding this mythical bear. I shan't give up. The adorable kitten on the poster above my cubicle was very clear about what I'm to do if at first I don't succeed. Of course, all of my colleagues call me preposterous. But I assure them, I'm ready. I'm finally posterous, bitches. Unfortunately, we've already experienced a small initial setback. Our flight, the Oceanic Flight 815, mysteriously crashed into the ocean, massacring everyone but myself, Jeff, the dumpy, unlikable cameraman, and our production manager, Hank, who died just as we reached shore from an ongoing and unrelated case of mad cow disease. Why is Sarah calling you, Dad? I think it's time that you let this go. Why is she calling? Because she was afraid, Dad. For you. I want to know exactly why the hell she was calling. You could see that you were slipping. You were losing your grip. (laughs) Move! Move! After floating to shore amongst the flotsam and jetsons, we were taken in by a friendly tribe of the Bantu, a noble, indigenous people with rich cultural traditions and boobs that look like sopping rolled-up holiday inn towels. Mama Huyu anaito Amina. She's beautiful. The woman who found Jeff and I washed up and lying prostrate in the sand. Her name is Wasarika Mombwe but I call her Erica because I don't have all day. I think she likes me. And you know what they say, once you go white, you never stop amassing the majority of the world's wealth, exploiting its resources and killing off most indigenous peoples with your diseases and bloodthirsty manifest destiny ideology. She's quite taken by me. She has brought us to the center of their village where I have requested to meet with one of their sacred holy witch doctors for more information regarding the Nandi bear's whereabouts. She says the witch doctor's right in this door. Chupa K. Abraham Lincoln, what the bloody hell is that? Amina amejifunika kanga kichwani. 
Well, I know it's a vagina. Don't you think I've seen photographs? What's it doing between that woman's legs is what I want to know. Kanga inajulikana kama leso. What? Getting her paps smear? What does this woman's father have to do with any of this? Kanga hununuliwa katika jozi. Gynecologist? I thought you were taking me to a witch doctor. Huwa na maua? Yes, we want witch doctor. Huwa na maua? Exactly, not this doctor, which doctor? Why do you keep repeating me, woman? Which doctor? We need which doctor? Oh, bloody hell, not more wordplay. Which is a homophone, and you're trying to ask me which which doctor we want to see. Jeff, shut your mouth. You act like you've never seen a photograph of a vagina before. <laughs> well, listen, Erica, we don't want this kind, I assure you that. We need to speak to the Walla Walla Bing Bang type. The kind that will tell us all about ancient rituals and mystical sacraments, dark curses, and bears. Kanga ni mavazi muhimu sana. What's that you say? He's right behind me. Well, well, well. Look at what the douche cat dragged in. A douche! Oh my god. Who let the douche cat out of the bag? The douche bag, of course. Douche, Chodsworth. Douche. Old rugged cross of Sasquatch, Wolfgang von Tainthammer, my old arch rival. It can't be. Your frickin' witch doctor of the Bantu? You? Really? Valla valla bing bang, Mr. Chodsworth. Vala vala, bing bang. Tune in next week for part three of our exciting cryptozoological nature documentary miniseries. Special thanks to Mike Boris for lending his voice to play that snarky Wolfie von Tainthammer, and to Adam Carvin for writing help. All right, so time to review our ABCs, or more accurately, our PFCs. We bring you the stories P is for Parade, F is for Forever, and C is for Crate. Like I said, these are just three stories of the set. The full thing you can check out in print at one of my favorite online zines, Daily SF. That's at dailysciencefiction.com, or in audio over in the Escape Artists neighborhood. Dave Thompson of the fantasy fiction podcast Podcastle has set up the collection as an escape artist's donor thank you. If you sign up for a $5 a month subscription or donate 50 bucks or more to any of the three escape artists' podcasts, Escape Pod, Podcastle, or Pseudopod, you get all of the stories in this set, read to you by a cornucopia of podcast personalities, sent right to your inbox. I've read all these stories, folks. Actually, I'm narrating several of them myself, and I just love them. It's totally worth it. Plus, you're supporting a great group of fiction podcasts. Hit up escapepod.org to find donation links. Okie doke. So, it's 4th of July weekend. We're going to start things off with a little patriotic piece of flash called P is for Parade. After that, a story shedding new light on the afterlife, read to you by Wilson Fowley, followed by Escape Pod's Mer Lafferty, reading you C is for Crate. Let's get down to it. Without further ado, we bring you P is for Parade, F is for Forever, and C is for Crate, by Tim Pratt, Heather Shaw, Greg Van Eekout, and Jen Reese. P is for Parade. A parade is still the very best thing. Mother and father bring all us children out, the youngest infant still umbilicaled, and stand us in front of the shops of Main Street to watch the parade go by. 
It begins with the riders on horses trotting and dancing and bright ribbons flying. Then come the marching bands, their great elephantine bodies blowing stomach gas from their tuned chrome pipes. Blorf, foot, tweet. The fire engines, polished to brilliant red, trail behind in case a stray spark should ignite a cloud of bass notes. Next come the old veterans, marched in smart precision despite their age. Their uniforms are threadbare, their boots worn, their eye beams cooled by time to benign red wavelengths. The mayor stands in the back of a car, smiling and waving, his udder swollen with milk, which he squirts into the mouths of our poorest citizens. Afterwards come floats and cars sponsored by all the guilds and societies of our town, the bakers with their rolling pins, and the plumbers with their wrenches, and the splitters with their wet talons. The cop eyes roll past, and then come the ladies of the smothering houses, and the scout troops, their mouths sewn shut to demonstrate superior moral fiber. And finally, as a treat for us patient children, a flood puddle of congealed leavings from the vat farms, clacking patriotic rhythms with its many partially formed mouths. We suck at it greedily with our tongue holes. The United States of America is still the greatest archipelago on Earth, and we continue to celebrate our oldest and finest traditions. After the parade will be a picnic, and after that we will ignite half the infants. Oh, I cannot wait for the screams of the 4th of July. F is for forever. Welcome to Hell's all-new resort and spa. Please, leave your worldly burdens by the gate and let me give you a tour. No, you're exactly right. We've done away with such outmoded tortures as fire and brimstone, liver-eating vultures, and the like. Oh, Sisyphus still clings to his rock like a baby to his blanket, but not everyone comes willingly into the new millennium, as I'm sure you know. Our first room. Look at those large-screen, high-definition TVs covering every surface. Hell receives over 6,000 channels from around the world, including several from heaven. I personally find the angel soaps duller than white on wings, but to each his own. Why is the channel stuck on Barney? Because we like to cater to our customers' needs, and this is the room for new parents. Our diehard sports fans are next door, being treated to endless replays of their favorite team's most heartbreaking loss. Hear those screams? Our cherished liberals enjoying 24-7 coverage by Fox News. If this is your fate, all you need to do is find the remote. And then of course there's the small matter of fresh batteries. But remember, over 6,000 channels available, so you know there's wonderful programming, but you just can't watch it. Ah, and here's the gaming room. We run one of the most successful gold farming businesses in the afterlife. Unfortunately, our chairs and desks are not ergonomically satisfying. There is a 100% chance of carpal tunnel syndrome, back spasms, and eye strain among players. If your tastes run to more casual games, we have any number of virtual farms that need weeding, sowing, and harvesting. The farms and the possibilities are endless. Most of our creative types end up in Asmodeus's new self-publishing division. Asmodeus has become quite the writer of heaven-hell crossovers fanfic, and his subjects must record his every 300,000 word novel. 
The true challenge is correcting his many grammatical mistakes. Each error costs the subject a finger, which makes typing his Gabriel Beelzebub Mpreg slash masterpieces that much harder. We have such high hopes for this enterprise. What's that? There's been a mistake. You belong in heaven? Oh, goodness, I'm so sorry. That certainly is a problem, and we'll want to rectify it as soon as possible. You look relieved, and I'm so glad. At Hell's all-new resort and spa, we aim to please. This room has thousands of phones from which you can contact customer support and inform them of the mistake. But let me warn you up front, we are experiencing a high volume of calls at this time. Our phone lines occasionally stop working for no reason, and you may have to spend a little time on hold. C is for Crate. Once upon a time, I was a college dropout, living in a studio apartment so small I could use the oven to heat the entire place. I spent my time picking up odd jobs, bouncing checks, and avoiding my landlord. Or maybe none of that is important. What I was before doesn't matter. I should start with Once Upon a Time, I found a crate. Because really, my story before that was so ordinary, so usual, that it bored me even while I was living it. It wasn't until that summer, when I was volunteering at the Reseda Animal Shelter for the free lunches and the ability to touch other living creatures without being arrested, that things got... interesting. The grate was small, only a foot long on each side, and solid black. No air holes, no labels, just a simple warning taped to the top and printed in a neat, even hand. Eats dreams. I asked my boss Lindsay about the crate on my first day, and she said it had always been there, going back at least 13 years when she started. All anyone knew was that we weren't supposed to open it. Not ever. And yet, I could hear something inside. The tiniest of scratches, so soft as if they were the memory of sound, not sound itself. Sometimes, late at night, when I slept at the shelter for the free AC, I heard mewling, tiny whimpers, like a kitten so young its eyes were still closed, calling for its mother in the darkness. At this point, you're probably assuming that I opened the crate. Some of you want me to hurry the story along? You want to know what eat dreams really means? Is it a pun? A joke? A literal truth that will result in my descent into madness? I don't want to disappoint you. Yes, I opened the crate. At 24, and with no money or job prospects or rich friends to leech off of, I had only two things to my name. A tiny bit of courage stashed away inside my heart so deep that my abusive bastard of a father could never find it, and an endless supply of dreams. That's a mighty combination when you think about it, and when you add in a whole heap of stupidity to get things moving. I opened the crate and I saw the creature inside, and as much as you can actually see a thing made of darkness and cold fur and ultimate sadness. And there, in that crap hole of an animal shelter, I sat on a dirty linoleum floor next to a crate containing something unspeakable and unknowable, and I started feeding it dreams. Tiny ones at first. A decent job, a boyfriend who doesn't care that I'm an inexperienced lover, a car that can go more than 10 miles without needing service. Bigger dreams came next, 
an apartment with two whole rooms in a safe neighborhood, a really hot boyfriend, my father's swift, painful, and irrevocable death. By the time I'd moved on to world peace, free food, and intergalactic travel, the thing in the crate was practically purring. Did I secretly suspect the creature would make all of my dreams come true? Of course not. And it didn't. When I woke up the next morning, my arms around an empty crate, my same old life surrounded me. Same old apartment, same lack of job prospects, same loneliness. I'd fed that impossible creature all my dreams, and it had given me nothing in return. Except for one thing. Not laser vision, or the power of flight, or even a miraculous PhD in nuclear physics. Just this. It had given me all my dreams back. Every last one, from worldwide nude beaches to finding comfortable, stylish shoes that never wear out. You can't give away dreams, it turns out. You can only share them. The creature comes back to me sometimes. I see it in the corners of my townhouse. A shimmer of stars and the unknown mixed into the shadows under my eco-responsible bamboo bed. I feed it bigger dreams now. Dreams I intend to make real. I can sense it getting stronger. Its purr makes everyone on my street laugh at the same time. Someday soon, it'll be strong enough to leave, to go back to wherever it wants to be. Hopefully, to find others like itself with whom it could share everything I've shared with it. How great would that be? A million inexplainable ink-black creatures all dreaming about my father's death. But I digress. I owe you a moral to my story, and here it is. Open the damn crate. And that was our trifecta. Hope you enjoyed. If you want more, remember escapepod.org. Great science fiction podcast. You ought to be listening anyways. Go check them out and throw them some support. It's a great thing to donate to podcasts you love. Just ask this week's Drabblecast kick-ass donor of the week. Clint Thick. Clint was inspired to donate to the Drabblecast after listening to our In Search of the Mongolian Deathworms segment last year. He tells us he laughed so hard that tears ran unashamedly down his face. He's happy to hear the further adventures of Connor Chodesworth on the show, though he's not sure how to top Bono in a hole making love to a rancid lipstick-smeared cow intestine named Heather. (laughs) We'll see. Clint lives in Maine and makes awesome machine guns for a living. Eeh, as long as you're only giving the guns to the awesome machines, Clint. In his spare time, Clint brews award-winning homebrew, much to the delight of his friends and the consternation of his wife. He also plays bass in a blues band called Preservation Blues Band, again to the delight of his friends and the consternation of his wife. You can check them out at preservationbluesband.com if you're into blues and or spouse consternation. Thanks a ton, Clint. We really appreciate it. Alrighty, next up, this week's 100-character story winner from Traveling Corpse Feet. Here goes. I'm scared, Rosa said. I know just how you feel, I responded as my machine merged our minds inextricably together. really like that one. We call them twabbles. Try writing one yourself. All you need is a minute, an idea, and 100 characters, not counting spaces. Go for it. Post in our discussion forums. You might be next week's winner. To get the weekly winners early each week, follow us on Twitter at 
the Drabblecast. All right, folks, that's our show. Remember, we bring these stories to you with a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives license, which means don't change or sell it, but share it all you like. Tell a friend about us, write us a review on iTunes or wherever you grab our feed. And as Mahatma Gandhi once said, be the strange you want to see in the world. Special thanks to our awesome episode artist this week, Matt Schindler. Matt's an independent artist and nomad operating somewhere in the wilds of Pennsylvania. Check him out at matthewschindler.com. We'll see you next week, weirdos. Until then, our staff is made up of associate editor Matthew Bay, a flood puddle of congealed leavings from the vat farms, and yours truly, Norm Sherman, reminding you that we're finally posterous bitches. Bitches.